Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with UK-based entrepreneur and best-selling author Chris Dale. Chris gets it. Working with others as the director of a fast-paced company, he wanted more. More freedom, more joy, more autonomy. After many sleepless nights and a leap of faith, Chris established himself as a small business owner and never looked back. And even you can start a business, Chris provides advice for first-time entrepreneurs, coaching all through the obstacles and revealing lessons he's learned the hard way. He's got a wonderful story. Enjoy this interview. Hey, Chris. Hi, Joe. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. How are you today? Yeah, really good. Thanks for having me. Nice to meet you. Where, do you, where exactly are you located on the planet? Just outside London, England. Okay. I just referenced London today. I wa- I came in from the rain, and I've only been there once. And someone <laughs> said, man, you, you look soaked. And I said, it it feels like a London rain out there. Oh, we have had another rubbish summer. It's just <laughs> chucking it down here. Oh, no. It's just rain and... It, it, and nonstop. We've had two weeks of sun since March. Oh, I got you. Okay. Okay. Wow. That's wild. How- We're just used to it. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I think about that in America with Seattle. Like, I couldn't go that long without having the sun. Yeah, um, that's why we all just travel into Europe or a, a long haul into America, uh, Central America holidays. Okay, there you go. It's <laughs> just least, dreadful. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. Well, hey, man, it's great to meet you. And And speaking of dreadful, perhaps, I want to begin our conversation with, we all went through quite a thing with COVID for the last three years. And I'm curious... How did you survive it, and how has it changed the way that you do things now? Um, I think everyone, like you said, the right word is survived. Everyone tried to find something that gave them purpose, uh, especially here in England. We had a lot, uh, four lockdowns, I think, separately, where, and everyone um, tried to find their own thing. So we had people took up exercise. There was running for charity. There was baking banana bread. I think at least a third of the UK took up yoga. Yeah, uh, few people did their gardens. It was a great summer. The first uh, with me, it's it's the, finding that balance between obviously you fear your business is going to go bust straight away because the world is shutting down. So then it's um, kind of um, taking each day at a time and preparing for the worst and hoping for the best, um, and then trying to keep your mental and physical health as good as possible. And being locked down with a at the time fifteen year old son, my wife, animals. You've got to find a whole new routine. How did you find it? I have two teenagers, and we drove a lot. Kansas City is kind of a big, sprawling metropolis. Lived next to a nature sanctuary. Did a lot of interviews with jazz musicians, like more than I ever did before. And I did a lot of them because I used to just do them you know, during the day when the kids weren't around and they listened to the the interviews and the musicians overwhelmingly were positive. So it was actually really good. Amazing. Yeah. So without even realizing it, just kind of as things took off, it was good. And they're all over in these different parts of the world. So the kids could kind of imagine where they're at. They would talk to them. So it was, you know, it was all, we. there was a monopoly on everything. We There was the only choice that you had was you sink or swim, you know? Um. How did your uh, kids find the social side being locked down? Obviously, my son was 15, 16 at the time, and it it really did affect that whole generation, we think, being locked away and not going to school. It certainly did. My my son, Miles, is he's 18 now, but when this started, yeah, when it started, someone told me, a friend of mine that lives up north said, 
we just got a memo today, and this was in January of 2020, that if schools, you know, close down, they have uh, procedures. And I was in such shock, I blotted it out. My son's on the autism spectrum, and he loves two things more than anything, Major League Baseball and school. And I was like, there's no way, because it was going to be March, spring training, everything was, we just moved into a new house. So when that whole thing happened, it was like, oh, man. So... It was just about pivoting and, and figuring it out. I went to the baseball when they came over to London last month and the Cubs oh, were playing. Cool. And it was the Cubs, right? It was, yeah. What, what did you think? Did you like it? Um, so I'm a big American sports fan. So NFL is my thing. I went to the yeah. Super Bowl two years ago. Um, but my dad and my brother love baseball. So yeah. it was a present for them. They're big uh, Giants fans. Yeah. I'm a 49ers fan. It just is one of those things you just get passed down from generation. You have to support that team, your team. And so they love it. it was, it's such good. It's so much better in the flesh than on TV. Yeah, it certainly is. I actually took my son up to the training camp. There's a town here uh, north of us, St. Joseph, where the Chiefs play. And I got to see, you know, Mahomes and the crew. And it's always nice because you don't, there's no fees. You just have to pay five bucks for parking and you just get to go up and you get to see them raw just doing their thing. So it's fun. You know, nice, to, nice to sport in Kansas city at the moment. What's that? Nice for sport at the moment. Nice having a franchise like the Kansas city chiefs doing what they're doing. Well, you know, and the Royals are, are tanking real bad this year and um, the soccer team's not doing so hot. Seems to be when one's hot, the other one's cold. So it is good, but I will tell you this. I uh, I survived probably 30 to 40 years of watching my dad just bemoan when the Chiefs came on. He used to always say, you know what? If you watch these guys play, you're getting married to misery because this is the most miserable thing in the world because they lost all the time. It literally wasn't until Mahomes came. And I went to the NFL draft this year, which was pretty impressive. And that right there will open up every door for any team, for any city instantly, like Mahomes did for us. Like we were in the dark ages and he came in and we got light now. Yeah, we had, my brother and I big NFL fans. We had tickets for the NFL draft in Vegas a couple of years ago. Then obviously yeah. lockdown happened. So we're still aiming to come over and do it because it's such a spectacle. UK and Britain just don't do it. We're far too reserved to do anything right. as loud as wild as that. You know, what's weird is I've lived in Kansas City my whole life, and and I used to live downtown in my 20s, and it was just relatively sedate, just not a lot was going on. We've really built it up. We've got world championships. we got things going on. So I just went down to see what was going on. My wife and I were going to go down, and they had this big NFL pavilion, and it was up at Liberty Memorial by our union station, just the pageantry. So I thought, we'll just go up and see what's going on. We just start getting shuttled into all these people. and We're all of a sudden in front of the stage, dancing, shooting shirts out of cannons. I mean, the whole thing was going on. It was really impressive. I couldn't believe I was in Kansas City. I was like, this is major. Yeah, we watched on the TV and the crowd size was just nuts. Oh, it was crazy. And then we're getting the World Cup. I don't know how we pulled yeah. that off. Yeah, like, well, we're planning a road trip, myself and some friends, to do the World Cup, a few of the games across America. Oh, man. If Well, when you get to Kansas City, if you need any places that you need to pop into, I'd be more than happy to to give you some places to get into. Yeah, because Kansas City are in Germany this year for NFL, I believe. So I'm trying to go to that in okay. October, November time. Yeah, okay. it's on my birthday. So. so that's the thing I've tried to figure out, is the whole game plan 
like we do with the Canadians, with the Blue Jays and all of that, are we wanting to kind of pull London in to have a major league team and eventually an NFL? Like what, what, or is it just purely exhibition? I think the Jaguars are the one that is definitely being lined up. Um, he owns a UK soccer team. They're on the, the they're on the uh, uh, east coast, so it's travelable just about. They haven't got the hugest fan base until they got Trevor Lawrence. You know, they were tanking for a long time and piecing yeah. it together. And I, I think if anyone's going to get close, because it sells out instantly, you cannot get a ticket within ten minutes of going on sale. Oh. Germany, UK, you could put a whole season on there. And you would get more fans than Jacksonville five times over. It's uh, Wembley's 88,000 seats. Every yeah. ticket's gone. Wow. That's crazy. I still think about Wembley with Freddie and Live Aid and all of that. I just can't. Yeah. And and I got married in 2019 and didn't realize that it was on July 13th. So I was kind of looking through the days. That was the day that that concert happened was on was July really? 13th. Yeah. It's so, so iconic, that yeah. footage of Freddie, Freddie doing Wembley. Just controlling had palm of his hand at the whole crowd i mean just a master at what he does it was so cool yeah so oh. many people we saw queen live uh, obviously without freddie mercury the last year obviously they've got adam lambert now doing the thing and yeah. he's, he's got a great voice and brian may's still great and the pageantry and the you know it's great but it's just not the same it's yeah. like going to see guns and roses i guess or axel rose or slash it's just yeah you know yeah. I, my wife adores them so i like, have to go and see them but yeah 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 it's it's wild because uh guns and roses their original incarnation the only person they don't have is the drummer and i actually interviewed the drummer steven adler's mom deanna no way yeah steven had a really bad drug problem she wrote a book on it i mean it was grueling to get through like what he was doing and how he was doing it yeah so i i guess and i've never seen the clip uh, it, it exists, but Axel actually fired him at an MTV Video Music Awards show. No way. Yeah. He was up and he said, we're done. You're out. Enough's and he enough. never got back in, you know, so. but Just shows that affects even the greatest. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, well, let's let's get into your life and exactly what you do. I know you're an entrepreneur and you're an author, but let's kind of get to the essence of it. I'm going to put you in front of a bunch of grade school kids, let's say 10, 11-year-olds. One of the kids looks up, you're at career day, and they say, hey, what do you do for a living? How do you answer that child? So I actually work in uh, interiors and furniture business. But when I wrote the book, the reason I wrote it was actually for anyone that could pick it up that didn't really know how to start a business. Because I think what I do is actually irrelevant a little bit. Um, what happened to me is I've got a law degree um, from university, haven't used it once in my life. Don't know why I did it. You know, the whole parents go to university, get a good degree or open up a door for you to go and do something. You watch far too many American programs where being a lawyer is far, much more glamorous than actually being a solicitor in the UK. <laughs> and you get halfway through your degree and you go, what the hell am I doing? You know, just this isn't for me. I like working with people. I like the flexibility of life. I like traveling. I like all these different things. And one of the things you're also taught at school is like, do what you like, do what you're good at, do what you're good at. No, uh, sorry, do what you like. It should be do what you're good at because you go further in doing those things. Uh, um, Scott Galloway talks about it a lot and says, you know, you will enjoy it more if you're good at it. I guess it's like sport. Mm -hmm. You know, if you happen to be good at soccer or baseball or something, you enjoy it more because you like being top of the class. You know, I'd, once I'd finished my degree, I was like, well, I don't want to be a solicitor. I couldn't wait to finish it. So I was like, I like interacting with people. I like 
you know, meeting and talking to as many people as possible. So I worked in um, a sales role, fundamentally a, a non-specific sales role for 11 years, worked my way up at a company, decided I'm going to set up a business with a really good friend of mine that's in the industry. Best thing happens, I get put on gardening leave for six months, you get salary while you get a chance to set it up, how the dream should be really. And then about three months into gardening leave, my business partner got a bit wobbly is the right way, polite way of putting it. But you still have faith because truthfully, I never believed I could do it on my own. Five weeks out, fails, just completely gone. And we set up nothing. And I'm, what, uh, so we're talking about six, seven years ago, 20, uh, 30 years old. I've got a 13-year-old child. I've got a nice house, a car that are all in that whole sales routine, you know, living outside your means. And I've got one, one more paycheck in five weeks. And that's it. Not a penny to my name. And what it really taught me is you have to just kind of wing it. You have to just throw yourself at it and commit everything you have to do what you have available to you. And if you put enough hard work in, you can find ways around it. And the, the book spawned from that. I started kind of journaling, keeping notes. I hate the word journaling, but keeping notes on, you know, the stages of the business, things, problems I had, just a way of dealing with the mental capacity. And then lockdown hit. And I looked at one chapter, I was like, oh, for my mental health, I'll just start expanding on that. And it turned into two, three, four. And what I realized is whenever you, the internet is full of extremes. So if you want to get fit, it's a person that's six foot two, 5% body fat. If you want to set up a business, unless you're doing Facebook or Google or you know one of these companies, you, you don't really get a looking. So a lot of people have the fear that just that little something for themselves, they're just not the right person for it. You know, only the most exceptional people ever, you know, go on to be millionaires or go on and have their own companies. You know, unless you're playing national level sport at 11 or a chess champion at eight, you're obviously just part of the masses that are born to work for someone. And I learned that the hard way. I went to stuff a business. I thought, I'm average. Everything about me is average. Average height, build, education, you know, well, uh, background. I can't set up a business on my own. And so I started looking on the internet. And like I said, you find out how, go and get funding, go and, you know, you know, hire 20 people in your first month and grow it exponentially. I was like, I don't want any of these things. I just want a little something that's my own. Yeah. And so I started writing about it. And actually, the fear holds a lot of people back because they think it's bigger than what it actually is. And that, that's how the book came about. And then how it's been really well received because of that reason. Yeah. Like it's an idiot's guide. It's in my words. There's no technical knowledge in there as such no clever you know systems i'm not selling a system on how to do it it's here's mistakes i made i was an idiot in certain parts i did some things well i completely panicked here i had a meltdown here and had a good point here you know like normal people have you must yeah. have that when you first went to start doing the podcasting yeah who's your first person <laughs> first person i i should know this it was a trumpet player i believe Herman Mahari is a Kansas City trumpet player, yeah. So. so when you went to approach him for the first time, the first person, you must have thought, God, they don't want to talk to me, or, you know, this is going to be tough. What do I ask them? Yeah. Yeah. But actually, once you just take the first step, write to someone, call them up, and they go, yeah, I'll be on your show. Like, oh, yeah. 
wasn't as difficult as I thought. Then yeah. it's the questions. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, I remember more specifically when I started uh, my whole journalistic beginning was at a college newspaper, and I had no idea what I was doing. I was a bad writer. I mean, the editor ended up using all of my stats out of my story and rewriting everything. So it was bad. <laughs> But, you know, I had to begin somewhere. And you're right. You know, if you don't just start somewhere, you know, I was talking to a guy the other day, he called me up, wanting to sell me some line of credit. And I'm like, look, dude, I am not the guy. I'm just an independent <laughs> podcaster. I got like a little thing. I have a day job. I'm not the guy. So I brought a podcasting. He just started getting into it. And he was like, well, you know, I got to get this studio and get this microphone and all this. I said, stop, 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 stop. Don't just, you can do it on your computer. You don't need all these things. You don't need to get thousands of dollars of equipment. You need to start somewhere and just get it out there, then work your way up. But I, that that's just where I come from, but I could just tell he needed someone to say, do it. Stop saying, I'm going to get a Bose system or I'm going to get a Lexus. Just get a broken down Honda and get to work, man. That's it. That's it. It's the basics, right? And yeah. before you know it, the small things turn into bigger things. And when you look back, you think those steps were so increment, they don't even count anymore. Like you're way past that stage. And lockdown, I think the book came out at a good time to so just after lockdown by sheer chance, because like I said, everyone in lockdown wanted to their, turn their hobby into something more, whether it was yoga, banana bread, gym, etc. And there's a difference between a hobby and a job. A hobby, you can start and stop when you want. It's something you actually love. Think of the sports stories we talked about. You know, as soon as you become a professional athlete, it takes the fun out of it. You are competing against other one. You collect a salary for that. You turn up every day, sickness and health, injury, because that's paying your pension, you know, the next 20 years of your life. It takes the fun out of it. And a lot of people have taken their hobbies and done amazing things, niche things you never thought would be available to the real world with the internet. And like you said, all you need is a microphone and a car and away you go. And the book really well received because a lot of people tried to turn their hobbies, realized there is no money in the hobby. And a lot of people had this real great niche idea and now have a, a newfound confidence because of lockdown that they just want a little something. They just want something that pays their bills and gives them a bit of economic freedom and a chance to take their kids to school twice a week and go on a nice holiday. They're not like, hoping to, you know, be a tech millionaire and retire at 35. They're, they're happy with their lifestyle choices. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's totally true. So let me ask you this. Who's been kind of a hero or an inspiration for you in your life? Um, early on, is obviously my mum. I didn't live with my mum, but she, her whole motto was kind of reach for the stars. You know, even if you only get halfway, you can say you gave it a shot. Yeah. She was always disgustingly positive like that around me. Um, when my partnership didn't happen and I was in full meltdown mode and panic mode, because obviously... It questions everything about you, your ability to provide for your family, that kind of whole alpha thing, you know, that's bullshit. But, you know, that, you know, I've got to provide for my family, be the leader, be the strong one. My wife is, was incredible. She was, she always is. She's always super supportive, but we balance each other really well. And she works in charities and she helps lots of wonderful people. And I deal in a capitalist society that spend lots of money and we kind of counter each other really well. You know, she yeah. does the good in the world. Um, but, She's a great sounding board. She has a lot more empathy and understanding and you know, looks at the world differently. And we're a good, a, a brilliant team. Yeah, that's wonderful. So if you can meet anybody alive on the planet right now and spend some time with them, who would it be? Oh, I have a list as long as you're armed for this. <laughs> who would I like to be? 
alive is tricky. Dead would have been Robin Williams. Yeah. Absolutely, because, you know, um, I think if we were... <laughs> I'm, I'm torn between famous people, um, athletes, actors. Um, who would I like to meet? Um, uh, there's a person, I'm not sure if you have it over there, called... Uh, Ricky Gervais, he's a comedian. Yeah, yeah. he's great. Yeah, he did. He did Afterlife. Well, he's yes. he's from very lives very close to me actually. Um, I would quite like to meet him. He has yeah. lots of similar opinions, and he doesn't really care what you think. And yeah. and his humour is a bit too far in places. But you know what I mean. He's. You get, I think you'd have a great stories with him. Um, football wise, there's obviously uh, a player for Liverpool. I'm a big Liverpool fan. I'd have one of them. You know, it's just one of those tick off your list. What about you? Who was on your list? Oh, man, this all started because I'd love to meet somebody like Bill Clinton or Barack Obama, someone like that. Um, those would be probably some of my top people. I don't know that I'd want to talk to Elon Musk. I, I just I, I think there was an era for him that existed. But I, I, I think that, quite honestly, he's gotten to a point where I, I just don't know if I really would be into no one anymore. I think I know too much. <laughs> so. I think if you'd, it's amazing. So I, I have a discussion with some friends about this, and it, he, I think if you'd asked two years ago, with the companies he set up, he's put in the bracket of all time entrepreneurial. You know, he will go down, and maybe in a hundred years he'll still be remembered. And even like Howard Hughes, he'll, you'll have this window of X Twitter. You know, did he have a midlife crisis thing? And you're not allowed to say that online. You are not allowed to say that because he's thinking ten years ahead of you, and you don't fully understand it. But you know, with Solar City, Tesla, Starlink, SpaceX, you know, just keep going. It's incredible. Yeah. I just, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we got it. We got the story. We're, yeah. I, yeah. And and that's where but I'm at. Isn't he a no he's an extreme of the internet, which you have in every form, every social media now, you know, you have to say something controversial or do something extreme to be noticed and you get addicted to that. We don't have the equivalent of Donald Trump or Elon Musk in Britain. We've had a few, like, beige versions of the political spectrum over here. But we Brit British people just don't go as far as that, yeah, you know. Right, so right. it's quite interesting looking from the outside in. Well, Boris Johnson was kind of, was he was he rad pretty radical? I mean, what what's your take on him? Oh, no, you should never talk politics or religion, right? <laughs> well, I guess so, just from, yeah, not getting into it too much, but he just looks a little bit unhinged. Um, he was in it for himself, yeah. a bit like Trump. You can pretend all you want that you're in it for the people, exactly, but you're in it for yourself. That's, and you're right. There's, there's a famous saying, isn't there? You're, you are the mix of your closest five friends or five people around you. Yeah. And if you look at the five politicians he kept closest to him, it tells you everything you needed to know. And speaking from someone that works in a, in industries that revolve around capitalism and, you know, making profits and, you know, successful businesses, he has pushed it so far that you really weigh up your moral versus kind of business, you know, sides. It, he's really pushed it, which every, is a shame. Yeah. You know, every time I talk to people from the UK, you all have such a astute awareness about you. You 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 always are progressive. I don't know how he would have gotten in. Like, I know how Trump got in here. I, I know what he's doing. He is a master manipulator and he did things to rook people in that don't pay attention, that are not like they're, he just knows what he's doing. 
but both of them seem like the same thing. I could just imagine in some fantasy land walking down the street and I'm like, oh, there's a kid's birthday party. And there's a big, huge like bounce house. And those two are just jumping like maniacs in there. Hairs flying everywhere. And I could just see it, you know. Yeah. And the thing is, nothing sticks to them. They're like Teflon. It's amazing. I know. You know? I know. Boris I know. Johnson is the Diet Coke version of Trump. Maybe not as extreme, but actually had more lives than a cat. And it was all, you know how Trump had has a, a built out a racist undertone and managed to bring out people to say stuff out, the, the quiet stuff out loud. We had Brexit over here. And, you know, we're very patriotic. We're an island and we've, you know, for all our faults, conquered the world. And, you know, this is who we are. And he played on that, you know, we're leaving Europe mm -hmm. and, you know, puts up our borders, you know, these are our walls, you know, we're going to, negotiate our own terms when actually we need immigration we need the jobs we need you know imports from europe and and that's who society is anymore you're not a single island society yeah um and he played on that he really did play on it and he got into power and unlike you we only have we have three main parties here but the Labour Party couldn't tie their own shoelaces. They would have won by miles if they just got themselves sorted and then the Lib Dems don't really exist anymore. They don't have a presence enough. And so they can do what they want. Yeah, that's it. That's that's how it works. I, I feel the, the same thing. So let's get back on, on track here with you. And Sorry. I want to know. Sorry. No, 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 no. No, it, it, I, 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 I threw that volley out there. And you just... You just a grenade. <laughs> <laughs> so... What is the motivator for you? What gets you up every day? What gets you moving and doing what you want to do? So if you'd asked me 10 years ago, it was all material things. You know, it's status, it's money, it's perception of others. It's, you know, the private, the you know, business class flights, the nice cars, all the things that mean absolutely nothing. And then as you get older, all I'm looking for is financial freedom, spend time with my family, the ability to retire, maybe not work to your 70, you know, go on nice holidays, spend time with my friends, experiences, not items you purchase, all the things that are unquantifiable and they still cost money, you know, at that time. And actually working in an environment with people I love. So when I set up my business, I, I hired a lot of people I'd worked with before and we all kind of came together when we were forming the company at different stages. And part of our ethos was to do the things that the opposite of what we did at our last company. It was so important to us, you know, trust, respect. You could work from home. I, I like working from the office a certain amount of time, but if you trust them, you pay them well, you have good holidays, you get to spend time with your family. You do get that added extra from everyone you work with, pay them respect, little things that sound stupid, and recruitment is such a tough thing when you're when you're growing a business. You know, there's you know the whole myth that in the first five highs, if you get one wrong, your business is going to go bust. That's one of the things I looked up when I was trying to set up my business, creating absolute fear in me as well that I'm going to fail. You know, there's all these kind of stereotypes when if you work hard, you're consistent, and you can offer a service that people need within reason, you will always do well. Yeah, you know, and I believe that. So of all the things you've done in your life, what are you the proudest of? Obviously, being a father, uh, getting married with the ones by far. He's just turned 18, like I told you. He's pretty well-rounded, you know, could be a bit more energetic at times, gets to that teenage stage a little bit, but he's off to university in a couple of months. Um, you know, I have a great group of friends that we've all been close from school. 
and you know i'm happily married um and like i told you i went to the super bowl a couple of years ago that was my treat and once someone asked me like you know oh you've got to grind you've got to grind you just got to keep going you know so what if you don't get to enjoy any of the bits you do yeah why do you do it so myself and my brother went went over to la for when the rams won the super bowl we both love nfl we're never going to do it again it cost a small fortune but that's that's that was my treat after five years just yeah. to go and watch some nfl and play some that's golf Good for you. Absolutely. So let's say you have a dream tonight. You run into a much younger version of yourself, say in your 20s. You could give that version of you a piece of advice based on the wisdom you've gained to this point. What would you tell your young version? Um, I would definitely say that the opinions you think people have of you, they're not even noticing you. I think that's completely true. I will always have a chip on my shoulder. You know, I'm competitive in almost everything I do. That's what makes me. But I'm very harsh on myself, I say. You know, I keep trying to keep myself healthy. I'm always trying to do better. And I always used to set benchmarks that were unattainable and then you beat yourself up for not achieving them. Um, I would definitely tell him I, not to sacrifice as much as I did in my 20s for my family. So I used to fly to Asia between 15 and 25 times a year in the economy every Wednesday, fly back every Sunday, out Wednesday, out back Sunday. I missed birthdays. I missed parties i missed anniversaries all because it was for the long term you know we're going to be better off for this we're going to be in a better position after about six years of telling yourself the same story it's like well, where is it you know i was gray i'd put on weight i was eating unhealthy i was drinking too much not getting to exercise because you're flying and your body clocks all over the shop when's enough yeah yeah what was, i mean like you what, what's the definition of enough if you asked yourself 10 15 years ago you know you enjoy what you do now much more than what you did before yeah sure yeah we evolve yeah and you get to a point where you get a more refined sense of what you want and how you want it and i think in life you figure out what you're good at and what you want to be good at and what you want to hold uh, a high regard for um i remember one of the best compliments i ever got was years ago there was a, a woman that lived across the street from me when i was early in my fatherhood days and she was a nurse at one of the schools and i'm an it technician by day and she said, man, I always thought you were a stay-at-home dad because I was always outside with the kids, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, "That's there you go. That's good. So that's that's always been a priority for me, you know? Yeah, so. yeah me too. My wife always says, like, you sacrificed everything, but I never missed a, a kid's birthday, you know, my son's birthday. That was just, I never missed sports day. Love yeah. sports day. Yeah. Um, no matter what, rain or shine, never missed it. Yeah, yeah. That's good. So let me ask you this. Everyone out there has all these pockets of people have perceptions of you, family, friends, clients, colleagues, but you run the show. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I would think I'm, I'd hope that people think I'm empathetic, but at the same time, and fair, you know, I always trying, I always feel like I give more time, as much time as possible to people. I don't expect it in return. I would all, you know, I, and I find people genuinely interesting. I think that's partly why I love what I do. Yeah. You know, I love knowing what makes people tick. I deal with everyone from professional sports people to shakes of uh, Middle Eastern countries to everyone in between. And they've all got a different story and why they're doing what they're doing. And I love that. I find it interesting, the psyche behind what makes people tick. And I think that comes off on people. So when I am talking to people, I do genuinely find them interesting, you know, like the background or like we're doing here, you know, the stories you've told me, I'm genuinely curious and amazed at some of the stories you've told me. And I think that gives you a thirst for life because yeah. I get up in the morning, you know, 
and I look forward to speaking to people. I don't dread going to work. You know, when a person, I've dealt with hundreds of complaints in my life. Again, I love speaking to them. You know, yeah. absolutely call me. I, I deal with every complaint up until recently, you know, because I love people. Yeah. It's kind of that idea of that book with Studs Terkel when he was interviewing everybody, all the working people. Have you ever heard about that book? I have heard of it, but I haven't read it. Yeah, it's interesting. They, they, I, I was listening to a podcast last summer, um, and they had clips of it, and he interviewed people, and it was just really interesting, like things that were coming out at the time. This was in the 70s. Um, but yeah, it's, it's fascinating, and I think that's the beauty of no matter what happens in our life, the one thing that will always keep us interested is the human story, what we have to say, how we have to say it, and who we are, because all of our backstories are pretty magnanimous, no matter how much we might be close to it or not. It's it's pretty it's pretty crazy. Um, you must have spoke to so many people and different walks of life. It must be incredible the stories you've heard. Oh man, there's just things sometimes I walk into and I'm like, whoa, what's going on? <laughs> and it's amazing. And there are there's are so many people out there that that have amazing stories, and there are great little vignettes like. There was a guy I interviewed a while back, and I had no idea I was going to get into this, but he worked with O.J. Simpson like before the murders happened. He was doing an exercise uh, video with him and had no idea. And then it happened, and then it was like, oh, my God. And he didn't. I didn't really want to get into it that much, but like things like that will happen. I'm like, wait, hold on a second. You mean- I'd, have had to, I'd have had to bite my lip. I wanted to ask. It's like just too much there. It's too juicy. The one thing I did do, though, was I was like, look, I don't want to really get into specifics, but did you have any idea? And he said there was a level of mania that was going on that was off the charts. And that's all I needed here. You know, yeah, that that's God. it. You know, I so. wish I had stories that interesting. That's just, you know, that's a real. It's crazy. I get your a can of worms. Yeah, exactly. So l speaking of a can of worms, let me ask you this as a sports fan. If you could witness any sporting event with your very own eyes in person, what event would you like to have witnessed? Oh, I think Rumble in the Jungle would have been incredible back in the day. Just because yeah. before my time, you hear about it, and I would love to have seen the atmosphere that was there. Um. Liverpool winning the Champions League against yeah. AC Milan. I watched it on TV. I was too young. You know, I was last time they won the Champions League, I was in New York for an anti Joshua boxing fight, which he lost. Yeah. So it was a great day. I got to go to Madison Square Garden and watch Liverpool win the Champions League in a pub in uh, New York. Um, yeah, I think they are too, too right up there. That would just be incredible. So, speaking of Liverpool, I about two weeks ago, I got to interview a couple of band members in a band called Rain. And they're a Beatles cover band and they did a whole show from like all of the beginning to all of the end and did all the costumes. It was mind blowing. And I just kept sitting there thinking this band from Liverpool, you know, just totally took over the world. And I don't know that anybody's going to get any bigger than them, but they will always live on. And they were great guys. And there was just so much good that goes into that. And I just always think about it all began in Liverpool. So I drive around um london a lot for work and there's abbey road studios which is obviously famous recording for the beatles and there's the zebra crossing yeah and it's a pain in my ass because people just taking photos constantly oh on the actual God. zebra crossing it causes <laughs> such a traffic jam every every tourist in the world taking photos on it and it's like oh come on they just ruined st john's wood for me london yeah and it just won't stop it's always going to be constant 
50, 60 years on or whatever it is, and they're still having an influence on modern day artists. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, all everyone people- cites them. Yeah, right. And, you know, and everybody coming into this concert was of the generation. They all had the shirts. They all had the whole thing. It was like I was watching like a modern like uh, uh, Taylor Swift, but it was like for a different era. It was like it was modern to them. They were crystallized in this like serum of like the past now. And it's crazy. But they this band did really good. They really paid heed to him well and it was just it just still is mind-blowing to me that they will always be relevant they will never ever lose that sparkle that they've gave the world i think there's very few artists you can say that about yeah and i think they're one of them like if you go to liverpool liverpool is quite tribal as a city anyway yeah sports the beatles etc and um it's it's incredible still yeah you know that's the wild. references that's wild. So, Chris, if anyone wants to learn more about you, get in touch with you, anything pertaining to your world, where can they go? I'm on Twitter. I am Chris Dale. And obviously, my book you can find on, on Amazon. It's called Even You Can Start a Business. Um, it, it was fortunate to hit the Amazon bestseller list, and it's ticking along now. Uh, I only started marketing it the day before it actually went on sale. Uh, that's how backward I was. But, yeah, anyone wants to reach out, it's, it's quite Twitter's a great environment in certain aspects in that, you can message anyone, chat. There's been a lot. There's been a small community that's formed. People ask me questions. Like I said, I'm not an expert on everything. I just give fair and honest conversation. You know how it is. It's great to open up a forum with other people you don't know from different walks of life. Yeah. And like I said, it's really good fun. You get the odd troll as you always do with Twitter, but hey ho. Yeah. Right. That's how. That's Sorry, how it X, works. X, X, not Twitter. Yeah, X. Right. That's right. It's X. Yeah. So, someone put up a video that they're doing at Morse code. There's some. It's like the X is flat, and the safety guys can't get up on the roof. It's like, <laughs> dude, like I would never trust Elon with something like that. Like if they can't get up there and we're we're talking about it, something's going on. So the everything app, but that they want you to do your their, your banking through their app, but they haven't paid their rent. Okay, I'm going to trust you with my money. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. so many things that are so crazy. It's like Swiss cheese, that whole theory. It's bad news. So, Chris, this has been great, man. Great to meet you. Thank you for opening up. Best of luck with everything, man. Joe, thanks so much. It's been an honor to be on here. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe. Our esteemed theme music was composed and produced by the great E.E. Pointer of Kansas City's River Cow Orchestra. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. (laughs) 